0: And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Professor, let us be logical. Well then, listen to me. resumed the professor stiffly. I presume you are taking it for granted that the Gallian year, by which I mean the time in which Gallia makes, one revolution round the sun, is equal in length to two terrestrial years. They signified their assent. And that year, like every other year, ought to be divided into twelve months. Yes, certainly, if you wish it, said the captain, acquiescing. If I wish it, exclaimed Rosette, nothing of the sort. Of course, a year must have twelve months. Of course, said the captain. And how many days will make a month, asked the professor. "'I suppose sixty or sixty-two, as the case may be.' "'The days now are only half as long as they used to be,' answered the captain. "Servadac, don't be thoughtless,' said Rosette, "'with all the penultant impatience of the old pedagogue. "'If the days are only half as long as they were, sixty of them cannot make up a twelfth part of Gallia's year. "'Cannot be a month.' "'I suppose not,' replied the confused captain. "'Do you not see, then?' continued the astronomer, that if a galleon month is twice as long as a terrestrial month, and a galleon day is only half as long as a terrestrial day, there must be a hundred and twenty days in every month. No doubt you are right, professor, said Count Timoshef. But do you not think that the use of a new calendar such as this would practically be very troublesome? Not at all, not at all. I do not intend to use any other, was the professor's bluff reply. After pondering for a few moments, the captain spoke again. According, then, to this new calendar, it isn't the middle of May at all. It must now be some time in March. Yes, said the professor, to-day is the 26th of March. It is the 266th day of the galleon year. It corresponds with the 133rd day of the terrestrial year. You are quite correct. It is the 26th of March. Strange, muttered Servadac. And a month, a terrestrial month, thirty old days, sixty new days hence. It will be the eighty-sixth of March. (laughs) Ha, ha! roared the captain. This is logic with a vengeance. The old professor had an undefined consciousness that his former pupil was laughing at him, and as it was growing late he made an excuse that he had no more leisure. The visitors accordingly quitted the observatory. It must be owned that the revised calendar was left to the professor's sole use and the colony was fairly puzzled whenever he referred to such unheard-of dates as the 47th of April or the 118th of May. According to the old calendar, June had now arrived, and by the professor's tables, gallia during the month would have advanced 27,500,000 leagues further along its orbit, and would have attained a distance of 155,000,000 leagues from the sun. The thermometer continued to fall. The atmosphere remained clear as heretofore. The population performed their daily avocations with systemic routine, and almost the only thing that broke the monotony of existence was an occasional visit from the blustering, nervous little professor, when some sudden fancy induced him to throw aside his astronomical studies for a time, and pay a visit to the common hall. His arrival there was generally hailed as the precursor of a little season of excitement, Somehow or other, the conversation would eventually work its way round to the topic of a future collision between the comet and the earth. And in the same degree, as this was a matter of sanguine anticipation to Captain Servadac and his friends, it was a matter of aversion to the astronomical enthusiast, who had no desire to quit his present quarters in a sphere which, being of his own discovery, he could hardly have cared for more if it had been of his own creation. The interview would often terminate in a scene of considerable animation. On the 27th of June, old calendar, the professor burst like a cannonball into the central hall, where they were all assembled, and without a word of salutation or of preface, accosted the lieutenant in a way in which, in earlier days, he had been accustomed to speak to an idle schoolboy. "'Now, lieutenant, no evasions, no shufflings. Tell me, have you, or have you not, circumnavigated Gallia?' The lieutenant drew himself up stiffly. Evasions, shufflings, I am not accustomed, sir, he began in a tone, evidencing no little resentment, but catching a hint from the count, he subdued his voice, and simply said, We have. And may I ask, continued the professor, quite unaware of his previous discourtesy, whether when you have made your voyage you took any account of distances? As approximately as I could, replied the lieutenant. I did what I could by log and compass. I was unable to take the altitude of sun or star. At what result did you arrive? What is the measurement of our equator? I estimate the total circumference of the equator to be about 1,400 miles. Ah, said the professor, more than half speaking to himself. A circumference of 1,400 miles would give a diameter of about 450 miles. That would be approximately about 1,16th of the diameter of the earth. Raising his voice, he continued, "'Gentlemen, in order to complete my account of my comet Gallia, "'I require to know its area, its mass, its volume, its density, its specific gravity.' "'Since we know the diameter,' remarked the lieutenant, "'there can be no difficulty in finding its surface and its volume.' "'And did I say there was any difficulty?' asked the professor fiercely. "'I have been able to reckon that ever since I was born.' "'Cock-a-doodle-doo!' cried Ben Zoof delighted at any opportunity of paying off his old grudge. The professor looked at him, but did not vouchsafe a word. Addressing the captain, he said, "'Now, Servadac, take your paper and a pen "'and find me the surface of Gallia.' With more submission than when he was a schoolboy, the captain sat down and endeavoured to recall the proper formula. "'The surface of a sphere multiplies circumference by diameter.' "'Right,' cried Rosette. "'But it ought to be done by this time.' Circumference, 1,400. Diameter, 450. Area of surface, 630,000. Read the captain. True, replied Rosette. 630,000 square miles, just 292 times less than that of the Earth. Pretty little comet, nice little comet, muttered Ben Zoof. The astronomer bit his lip, snorted, and cast at him a withering look, but did not take any further notice. Now, Captain Servadac, said the professor, take your pen again and find me the volume of Gallia. The captain hesitated. Quick, quick, cried the professor impatiently. Surely you have not forgotten how to find the volume of a sphere? A moment's breathing time, please. Breathing time, indeed! A mathematician should not want breathing time. Come, multiply the surface by the third of the radius. Don't you recollect? Captain Servadac applied himself to his task while the bystanders waited, with some difficulty suppressing their inclination to laugh. There was a short silence, at the end of which Servadac announced that the volume of the comet was 48,880,000 cubic miles. Just about 5,000 times less than the Earth, observed the lieutenant. Nice little comet, pretty little comet, said Ben Zoof. The professor scowled at him, and was manifestly annoyed at having the insignificant dimensions of his comet pointed out in so disparaging a manner. Lieutenant Procope further remarked that from the earth he supposed it to be about as conspicuous as a star of the seventh magnitude, and would require a good telescope to see it. Ha, ha! laughed the orderly aloud. Charming little comet, so pretty and so modest. You rascal! roared the professor and clenched his hand in passion as if about to strike him ben Zoof laughed the more and was on the point of repeating his satirical comments when a stern order from the captain made him hold his tongue the truth was that the professor was just as sensitive about his comet as the orderly was about montmartre and if the contention between the two had been allowed to go on unchecked it is impossible to say what serious quarrel might not have arisen When Professor Rosette's equanimity had been restored, he said, "'Thus then, gentlemen, the diameter, the surface, the volume of my comet are settled. But there is more to be done. I shall not be satisfied until by actual measurement I have determined its mass, its density, and the force of gravity at its surface.' "'A laborious problem,' remarked Count Timascheff. "'Laborious or not, it has to be accomplished. I am resolved to find out what my comet weighs.' "'Would it not be of some assistance if we knew "'of what substance it is composed?' asked the lieutenant. "'That is of no moment at all,' replied the professor. "'The problem is independent of it.' "'Then we await your orders,' was the captain's reply. "'You must understand, however,' said Rosette, "'that there are various preliminary calculations to be made. "'You will have to wait till they are finished.' "'As long as you please,' said the count." No hurry at all, observed the captain, who was not in the least impatient to continue his mathematical exercises. Then, gentlemen, said the astronomer, with your leave we will for this purpose make an appointment a few weeks hence. What do you say to the 62nd of April? Without noticing the general smile which the novel date provoked, the astronomer left the hall and retired to his observatory. End of Book Two, Chapter Four